Hi, my name's Alyssa. And my name's Melissa. Welcome back to the Deliverability Defined Podcast. Each week, we'll be diving deep into a topic and giving you practical advice to improve your email deliverability. In other words, we'll help you reach the inbox of your subscribers and stay out of their spam folders, leading to more success in your email marketing. Deliverability can be complex, but we're here to define it. Hello, Melissa. How are you doing today? I'm pretty good. How are you? I am good. We're recording this on a Friday, which is nice. It's going to be a long weekend. I'm going to the lake with my family. Yay. So I'm feeling good. I'm excited, uh, ready to get all this work done and then head out. How about you? I feel the same way. I feel the same way. Do uh, Well, first, do you all have a boat that you're going to be using on the lake? It's so weird because growing up, she was never like this. Like we never went to the lake as a, mm-hmm. when I was a kid. But as an adult, my mom is obsessed with the lake and she lives like 30 minutes from one. So they're, her Aww. and her husband, my stepdad, are in a boat club and they use it seriously like every weekend. I think sometimes they even go on like weekday evenings just to ride around. Yeah. I'm not as much of a lake person, honestly. Like I love the beach, not a huge lake girl, but mm. I'm still excited to be with everyone and yeah. make it fun. That'll be fun. Yeah. I don't have any really like, I don't know, the last two years we actually went to the lake and I'm I'm really bummed because we rented the same house two years in a row and that was in North Carolina. And so obviously I'm not there this year and it's just kind of like bittersweet because I'll be in Boise this weekend for most of the weekend, which is fine because I get to see my family, but we will be driving back to Washington on Sunday. So that's kind of like, you know, it's a seven hour drive. So it's kind of like a whole day thing, but I get to just hang out on Monday and enjoy my day off. So I'm excited for that. Yeah. And I bet it'll be nice. And is it like perfect temperature in Seattle right now? Yeah. That's amazing. So when I was this last week was not very nice. um, And it's supposed to be great when we get back. So I'm I'm lucky because I kind of missed the bad weather while I was gone. And it's supposed to be like 80 when we drive home on Sunday, which is also nice because that drive – is through a couple mountain passes and it's not fun to do it when it's bad weather. Okay. Well, perfect. Yeah. It'll be pretty. Yay. Yeah. I love a three-day weekend during the summer. I know. Oh, I know. It's so good. <laughs> it is nice. And I, I feel lucky because it's definitely like a hit or miss weather weekend for a lot of people. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm excited that we're going to have nice weather. I'm so glad you said that now. I'm like, dang, I wonder what the weather's going to be like. I haven't even looked. I'm like, it might rain. Check before you pack because <laughs> yeah. that happened to me. Oh, no. When I got to Boise last weekend, it was like terrible and cold and rainy, and I packed not good clothes for it. So I'm looking right now. Um, looks, it says cloudy. Uh-oh, I'm worried. Last year, last year, they projected like terrible thunderstorms, bad weather, and we got to the lake house like on Friday night and the, the sky, I'll have to show you a picture. The sky cleared and it was the most beautiful sunset I've ever seen in my life. And it was the best weather the whole weekend. So I was like, wow, so happy. That's amazing. Okay. I hope we get that right now. It says, yeah, I'll keep my fingers crossed for you. Oh, thank you. And this it's so weird to me because it's been so hot in Nashville, but mm-hmm. it says tomorrow is going to be 65 and cloudy, but like low chance of precipitation. So weird. That'll be a really weird day, but it might be nice and not, you know, super hot, which is Mm -hmm. great. Well, I don't trust the weather, so you never know. It can do whatever it wants. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
Okay, everyone listening is probably like, wow, I'm bored. So sorry, guys. (laughs) um, We're just so excited. I know. Yeah, we are. Uh, But we'll move on to, you know, a much more exciting topic, which is deliverability. (laughs) Uh, And we're going to actually um, revisit something that we talked about in season one, just because it is so important. And I know there are a lot of people listening now that didn't listen to season one. So let's talk about sender reputation. Um, And one section we're going to talk about specifically is how do you know what your sender reputation is? Um, Melissa, I know this is something that you talk to customers about daily. (laughs) This is a very popular question. How can I tell what my sender reputation is? And obviously we're going to get into it, but the short answer is you can't really tell. Like there's no score. It's not like there's no um, platform that you can go on and put in a bunch of information and spit out a number that's like, you have 100% sender reputation. It's not a thing. I don't think it will ever be a thing. So that's like the tough part about sender reputation is that it is a very, it is one of the most important pieces of email deliverability. And there's no way to know yeah, really what your sender reputation is. There's not a quantifiable number. So that part is tough. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's another reason why it's so important to talk about sender reputation. Well, first of all, like you said, it is one of the most important parts about reaching the inbox. And secondly, it's one of the things that is totally in the sender's control. Mm -hmm. So um, as, you know, deliverability specialists at an ESP, there's a lot of things we can do on our end to help you reach the inbox, but we can't do anything to help your sender reputation. That's something that lives on your side of the house. And it's so important. So we could do everything right on our end, but if you have a damaged sender reputation, your messages will probably go to the spam folder. So that's one reason why it's so important for us to talk about it often Mm -hmm. so that everyone has the education they need to help their sender reputation, keep it healthy so that they can reach the inbox. Yes. So first I'm going to get into something that might be a little in the weeds, but I want to do some due diligence to cover sender reputation. This podcast can be sometimes hard to balance because deliverability can be so deep and complex. And for the audience we're serving here, people who are sending emails, a lot of creators, you don't have to be an expert in any of this. But I also just want to give you some general information Mm -hmm. so that you have a better understanding. Yeah, sometimes the context helps a little bit. Yeah, hopefully this will help and not just hurt. Um, Yeah. But I do think it it could help. So I do want to clarify that whenever Melissa and I talk about your sender reputation and needing to improve it, we're talking about the reputation of your sending domain. A lot of times that's called the friendly from address. So that is what your subscribers are going to see in their mailbox when it says they have a new message and they see it's from, they're going to see your email address right there and the domain of that email address the part after the at symbol, that's your domain and it has a reputation. And that plays a huge part in whether your email is gonna go to the inbox or the spam folder. But that's not the only part of the email that has reputation. There are actually a lot of other parts um, that have reputation. A lot of them or most of them are kind of out of your control depending on your setup. But I would say most people who listen to this podcast are using an email service provider like ConvertKit And most of these things are going to be managed by your email service provider. So a few of those are the sending domain of the return path address. That's another from address, but it lives kind of in the background of your message. And that is used for SPF authentication. 
the uh, domain being used for DKIM signing has its own reputation. All domains that are used in the links of an email have their own reputation. And the IP address that's used to send the email has its own reputation. So all of those are sort of an it depends situation based on your setup of whether it kind of falls in your area or your ESP's area. For example, if you have a verified sending domain set up at ConvertKit, another ESP might call it something different. But by that, we mean that you're using your domain for authentication, then that actually becomes, again, your domain, your reputation matters there. So that's just sort of adding your reputation to more of the weight when it comes to whether your message will go to the inbox or the spam folder. Sending IP address for most people who listen to this podcast, that's probably your ESP's IP address, and it's shared with multiple senders. And that, again, falls under your ESP to manage. But if you have a dedicated IP address set up, that actually, again, means you're controlling that reputation all on your own. So essentially, this can look different for every person, but the consensus is that if you have an ESP that takes deliverability and compliance seriously, you don't really need to worry about the reputation of the IP address, potentially, or um, you know the other parts of the message that land on their side of the house. But what you do need to worry about and pay attention to is your own sending reputation with your domain. So that's what we're going to talk about today. I, I want to say this because I feel like, I don't know if it will help anyone who's listening kind of like just reassure them. Um, and especially like if you are a ConvertKit customer, obviously Alyssa and I really care about deliverability. We're always in there looking at accounts and trying to help customers. Um, but we do have people reach out sometimes and say, can you move me to a better performing IP pool? And I think there's confusion there sometimes that the IP pool that you send on has a lot more influence over where you can end up in the, in, um, the inbox, whether you go to spam or not. And while there can be aspects of an IP address that can maybe influence a little bit um, you know, where you end up, if you have a bad sender reputation and you're on the best IP pool possible, it won't really make a difference. Um, you still could end up in the, the spam folder because of your domain reputation. Um, and I think a lot of people think that ESPs have a lot more influence over where your emails go. And like Alyssa said earlier, relatively speaking, that's not really the case because your domain reputation is what is weighted most heavily when it comes to inbox placement. So there's only so much on on our end, and I'm just reiterating kind of what you said earlier. Um, but I just think it's kind of a good thing to bring up because we do have people reach out and ask to, you know, what IP pool am I sending on? I would like to be moved to a different one. And, and while sometimes that makes sense, that's also our job to monitor all those pools and make sure they're healthy. At the end of the day, moving people around on pools will not magically make your email go to the inbox. So I just thought I would throw that out there. <laughs> Yeah, that's helpful. Um, and I think I always, I also see this play out in a different way where someone with lowish open rates will reach out and say, I want a dedicated IP. Um, and it's pretty clear that they think that's going to be a band aid fix. But a lot of times that actually hurts their sending because, like Melissa saying, 
we are monitoring the health of every single IP address that ConvertKit uses, and they are all healthy. Mm -hmm. They are all in a good place. Like you're going to have equal performance. It's all Mm going to be the same for you. What actually matters the most is your sending domain reputation. Right. So if you're having low open rates or issues like that, at least with the way we structure things at ConvertKit, the IP address is not going to be the problem. That might be the case if you send from another, you know, ESP that's not monitoring things. Mm-hmm. I think most of them are pretty good. But um, anyways, I do think that's a good clarification that if you're having issues with deliverability, a lot of times trying to change things with the IP setup is actually not going to do much mm-hmm. as long as your ESP is taking that seriously. And instead, you need to focus on your own sender reputation. Right. So speaking of sender reputation, (laughs) yes, we can jump into that. Let's do it. All right. So I think some people might be wondering, well, what is a sender reputation, your domain's sender reputation? And we like to say it's kind of like a credit score because that's sort of an easy way to think about it um, in that, you know, there are things that can happen that will boost your credit score or there are things that can happen that can hurt your credit score. And credit score is sort of like a measure of trust when it comes Mm -hmm. to, you know, how banks or credit card places, whatever, (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. someone who might want to give you a mortgage, how they view you. But one important distinction, like Melissa already said, is that there isn't a single source of truth for your sender reputation like there is for a credit score or at Mm -hmm. least a couple sources of truth. And the reason for that is because every single mailbox provider, like Gmail, Microsoft, Yahoo, we could go on and on. There are hundreds, maybe thousands of mailbox providers. They each have their own formula for sender reputation. So it's going to look different at every single mailbox mm-hmm. provider. Some of them will sort of give you an idea of what your sender reputation is. Like Gmail is really the one I'm thinking about. Um, and we're going to talk about that. But for the most part, there's no way to like look up your mm-hmm. sender reputation, especially at like a global level where you could just see it across the board because that's that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And similarly um, to a credit score, a lot of times I've seen customers do things that were detrimental to their sender reputation. And it is, um, you can tell their open rates yeah. drop drastically. Bad things kind of start to happen in metric wise. You can see it. And when you start to do positive things, it takes more time to build that trust back up again. Sort of like if you just don't pay your credit card payment and then you your credit score drops. And when you start paying, you could pay for three years and your credit score still is making its way back up again. The positive signals that we often um, encourage people to focus on can take a little bit more time because those email box providers have to watch and make sure that you are being consistent and it's not just the week that you decided to do it the right way. Yeah, exactly. And similarly to a credit score, your domain's reputation gets built up over time. So if you, for example, just create a new domain, which I know a lot of us do that. I do that all the time. I have some sort of business idea and I'm like, yeah, let's make a domain for it. But those new brand new domains are seen as more risky by mailbox providers. So usually you can get away with sending from a brand new domain 
if you're using an ESP that has a really good reputation like ConvertKit and you're, you know, relying on them for authentication and all of that, but you definitely wouldn't want to have a brand new domain and set up a verified sending address where you are carrying the weight of the reputation because it's probably not going to go very well because you haven't built up any sort of established reputation. So I hope that's a good kind of overview of like what is your domain sender reputation. So every time you go to send to a subscriber, their mailbox provider is going to kind of look and see how do they view your domain's reputation. And now you're probably wondering, well, how is that determined? How does my reputation get decided? And it's actually decided pretty much by your subscribers. So that's why we talk a lot about taking care of your subscribers and only having people on your list that truly want to be there because it's your subscribers who will determine your reputation. And I just mentioned positive signals um, a couple minutes ago. And so we have a list of those. These are things that can help your sender reputation. We always talk about open rates are a great way to monitor things in your account, but they're not like the end be all end all. Like they, there are other metrics in your account that can be just as important to look at as far as positive signals and engagement goes. Some of those things are, um, like I said, open rates, uh, clicks, replies, replies are huge. We always try to encourage um, our customers to ask for replies to emails. Clicks are great, but and opens are great. But when someone replies to your email, that means they really cared about the content that was in your email. Um, and I think that that shows a lot to email box providers as well. When they mark your email, or excuse me, they mark your domain as like a safe sender. That's something that can also really help your reputation with with uh, mailbox providers. And then also marking an email as not spam. So, you know, sometimes it happens an email will go to spam. Algorithms do not always get placement right every time. And so if they place an email in spam and I were to drag and drop that message out and put it in the inbox or mark it as not spam, that shows email box providers that they made a mistake. And I always want to see those messages in my inbox personally. Yeah. Love it. I think that's one people don't think about a lot because you Mm -hmm. don't want your email to go to spam in the first place. Right. But if someone does report that your message went to spam, which we'll talk about more in a second, it's always good to tell them to mark it as not spam. And that's a really positive signal. It tells the algorithms, machines like, hey, we got this wrong. Mm -hmm. We need to reconfigure what we're doing. Right. But someone seeing the message in their spam folder, opening it and not marking it as not spam just tells algorithms we did the right thing. Mm -hmm. They went to their spam and they wanted it there. They didn't move it out. So again, that's why it's important to tell anyone who reports to you like, hey, your message went to my spam folder. Make sure they click that not spam button and they don't let it just sit in their spam folder. The most negative signal is someone marking your email as spam, which we also call a complaint. And of course, that can happen from time to time. That's just the nature of sending email sometimes. People mark messages as spam. But having a large amount of people mark it as spam is definitely a red flag and will, without a doubt, damage your sender reputation. Because again, these are algorithms, machines, machine learning. They're just looking for signals to tell them what to do. So if people are straight up saying, this is spam, mark as spam, that's telling the machines, this is spam. Mm -hmm. And they're going to end up saying, all right, now all messages that come from the sender should go straight to the spam folder because that's what subscribers are telling us. So you want your subscribers to be telling the machines good things and not bad things. But so to know like, well, what's a large amount of people marking a message as spam? A typical threshold 
that's used in the email industry is one out of every 1,000 subscribers. Marking a message as spam is like starting to get elevated slash right on the threshold. So for example, if you send out a message to 5,000 people and five people mark it as spam, it's like, okay, five or less, I would say is like your goal. But any more than five people, that's starting to get elevated. And the more and more people that mark it as spam, the more elevated it is mm-hmm. and the more of a problem it is. I feel like I had something else I was going to say about that and I forgot. I know. I feel like I have the Friday. I don't even mm-hmm. know what it is, but like my brain's <laughs> just like slower today and I'm yeah. like, oh, it's tough. Well, I can't tell. You're doing great. Oh, well, thanks. Well, I can't remember what I had like a, a tangent on that, but I'm just going to let it be. And if I think about it, I'll bring it up. There's a lot of reasons that um, subscribers can mark your email as spam too, which is something that I think is important to think about. Mm-hmm. If you're emailing a list that you haven't emailed for a while and they're they're not expecting an email from you, um, if you're emailing too much, your frequency is too high, people get sick of it and they could mark your email as spam instead of like unsubscribing or whatever. Did you say list bombing yet? No. That's a good one. Okay. No. <laughs> That's a, a reason we see people who are doing everything right, you know, but they're still getting a ton of complaints and their mm-hmm. center reputation starting to go down. Sometimes we see some signs of list bombing, which we have a whole episode about. But in general, it's like um, whenever your forms are getting spammed with email addresses that didn't actually sign up to be there. Mm-hmm. But those email addresses belong to real humans. So the humans are getting emails they didn't sign up for and they end up marking your messages as spam. So that's one of the most common reasons mm-hmm. we see people have a large spam complaint rate. Yes. Well, the next um, thing that can cause negative signals that I know we've talked about plenty of times, but you got to say it again because it's so important, is um, having subscribers on your list who consistently do not open your emails. And I think that threshold looks different for everyone. At ConvertKit, we create a cold subscriber list for you, and that's people who haven't opened in 90 days. That's a pretty good indicator that People are starting to get pretty unengaged and can end up hurting your reputation. Once they reach the 180-day mark, it's pretty certain that they're going to start hurting your reputation if there's a lot of them. So um, I would recommend not letting a large chunk of your audience become more than 180 days unengaged. One way you can do that is by monitoring your cold subscribers pretty regularly and sending them through a re-engagement campaign and removing those people who don't become re-engaged. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. (laughs) And I think I've said this like maybe 10 times, but like my favorite tip is clean your list, clean your list. I think I say it all the time. It's just like, it's, I feel like it's a relatively easy thing to do because you can automate it for the most part. And so you're not having to like manually think about these things. You can just say, oh, I have X amount of cold subscribers. It's been three months or however long, whatever cadence you use to clean your list and set an alarm on your phone. Like, I don't know. I do that for cleaning for other things like, oh, need to change my furnace filter. Yeah. Same, same thing with, with cleaning your, your email list, just set an alarm and every, however often you want to, and, and just make sure those people are running through an automation to see if they're still interested in receiving your emails. And we just had an episode last episode where we talked about quality subscribers. And if people are not opening your emails, then you're probably not going to get any kind of sale from those people, interest in other emails. So they're not worth holding on to because they're not providing any kind of, you know, engagement to your list. Yep. So good. So true. I hope you listened to the last episode. If you didn't go listen to it because 
it's, I feel like it's a really helpful one when it comes to. It's interesting. Yeah. And it'll help you understand why you just got to say goodbye to subscribers that don't open your messages Mm -hmm. for a long period of time. And we know it's hard, but it's the right thing to do and will help you in the long run. Definitely. Cool. So the big question we talked about at the beginning, how can you know if you have a healthy sender reputation? And Melissa, and we talked about it earlier, kind of got to like, there isn't some website you can go say, what's my sender reputation? And it'll spit out a number for you, Mm -hmm. unfortunately. So there are signals and metrics and things you can look at to help you figure out if you have a sender reputation issue. And I think Melissa and I see this all the time. We'll have a customer reach out. (laughs) I'm thinking of one specifically that happened recently with a 50 or 60% open rate. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and their list is pretty huge, which is really good. (laughs) Yeah. And they're concerned, you know, because one, a few people say, you know, haven't gotten the email. Right. They're concerned they have a sender reputation issue, which is very understandable. But there are signals that can kind of hint to you whether or not your reputation is damaged, or if it's great and there are other things happening. Right. So open rates are not a perfect metric. We definitely have an episode on that in season one, too, if you're interested. They're not always accurate, and they're something that you shouldn't focus on so much that it's keeping you up at night if Mm -hmm. there's a 1% or 2% drop. Right. But in general, your open rate kind of trend and averages can help you have an idea of how you're performing. Mm-hmm. So in general, I would say here are some good thresholds to keep in mind. If your open rates are average less than or equal to 5%, you likely have a very low sender reputation and need to take action immediately, which we'll talk about next. Opens 5 to 10%, I would say low sender reputation, most likely. Opens 10 to 15%, um, you might have some reputation issues, but they're not widespread. We see this sometimes when we run audits for customers that are kind of in this area. Gmail might place like 25% of messages in spam. And I think that's them sort of dipping their toes in the water and saying like, we think this person, you know, is sending unwanted mail or we think it's time to lower their sender reputation. We're going to try out sending some messages to spam and seeing what people do with it. Do they mark it as not spam? Mm -hmm. Do they leave it there? So I think that's actually the hardest place to be a lot of times because when you have a very low sender reputation, it's usually relatively obvious because almost all the messages will go to spam. When you're in the middle like this, this is where this, to me, this is the hardest thing about deliverability, which is, okay, you might not have a serious sender reputation, but this is exactly the crossover between marketing and your strategy with marketing and the technical aspects of deliverability. And it's difficult because you can't, it's a cause and effect. You can't actually really have one without the other. But if you are sending mail to people who aren't engaging with your emails, whether that is because emails are going to spam or because you don't have content that people are engaging with, they're both just as negative. And I think that's the tough thing that people sometimes miss. This is a tangent, so I'm sorry. <laughs> You're fine. But people often ask, well, how, how do I engage people if my emails are going to the spam folder? But if you're in that range of the 10 to 15%, not all your emails are going to spam, most likely. Like Alyssa said, 25% maybe. So engage the people who are seeing your emails. Make sure that you are using marketing tactics that 
encourage people to open, click, reply, because there are people seeing your emails. You're actually in a better spot because people still have the opportunity to see those, unlike someone who might have a really poor sender reputation where every email is going to spam. So I can understand people getting like frustrated or worried when 25% of their messages go to spam, but you're actually in a better spot than someone that might have a poor sender reputation because messages are still hitting the inbox. Yeah, and I feel like you are in a critical place where it's like you can make changes right now that help. Yes. But the thing you shouldn't do is get angry about the performance and just like kind of dig your heels in and say like, right, I don't want to change anything. I don't want to clean up my list. Mm -hmm. It's like this is your moment to clean your list, look at your marketing tactics, like you said, and fix some things. And then you're going to do great. And Gmail is going to kind of like back off. It's going to, yeah, like recalculate, Mm -hmm. make things go more to the inbox. But digging your heels in and not changing anything will definitely make most of your messages start to go to spam and make your reputation get more damaged. So that was my attempt at being like a cheerleader for deliverability. Like, I love that you're in the 10 to 15. Keep going. (laughs) Yeah, you can do it. You can do it. We believe it. I love that idea of like, this is the time to, mm-hmm. to make some changes, look at your marketing, clean your list and see improvement. Yeah. Cool. So uh, that was 10 to 15%. And of course, I need to say, this is not a science. You no. know, none of this is saying like, for sure, this is what's happening. It's yeah. just kind of what we've seen helping mm-hmm. literally tens of thousands of customers. So I'll continue. Um, opens 15 to 20% is, I would say, pretty much an average sender reputation. The average open rate for ConvertKit customers is around 30%. So I would say we have an above average open rate. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, you know, as much as I would love to take credit for that, it's not all of (laughs) Melissa and I's work that does that, although, you know, it helps. Um, But I also just think the nature of creators and Mm -hmm. who we serve, they have really engaged audiences, which Mm -hmm. is wonderful. We all benefit from that. But I would say in general, if we were looking at all email senders, 15 to 20% is sort of the average sender reputation. Opens 20 to 30%, I would say is good sender reputation. You're in a good spot. And then opens 30% plus is great sender reputation. That doesn't mean you should never clean your list if you're 20% and above or anything like that. You should still follow best practices and continue to keep your list healthy. But what it means is that you're probably not seeing much spam filtering at all. Obviously, there's individual cases of spam filtering too, but in general, you're probably not seeing any widespread spam filtering due to um, reputation issues. Right. And those are the um, kind of some of the customers we see who have open rates closer to like 45%, almost 50, which is like, that's pretty amazing, especially for a large list. And so when people say like when when a, excuse me, subscriber reaches out and says like, I can't find your email to me, that instantly makes me wonder like, okay, well, what kinds of settings does that subscriber have in their email account? Because I think people forget a lot of times, like we all can have different settings in our email accounts. Just because Alyssa and I both have a Gmail account doesn't mean it's set up the same way. I mentioned before, like in one of our accounts, I can see the promotions tab um, just in like the main area. And in my own personal Gmail account, I can't see the promotions tab because I don't have it set up that way. So depending on how people have their account set up can really affect where they see emails and we all use our email accounts differently. So that's just something I think people don't really think about sometimes. Yes. And another thing is I think we all assume that 
our subscribers are on the same level as us technologically. And it's just like, it's hard to believe sometimes, um, especially if you are someone who works in tech or is an email sender and you know about all this stuff. But some people still are not super savvy with their email um, inbox and they don't know where to find things. And they accidentally click buttons. We see all the time people accidentally mark messages as spam and they write in and say, I want to receive these emails. And we say, mm-hmm. you marked it as spam, but you know, they don't know. Just a lot, a real life example of that, like when my husband, whenever there's touring happening, there's um, a lot of times like a VIP meet and greet before the show. And those people received emails with all the details, when to be there, where to be there. And he'll have like very often, you know, this isn't convert kit emails, but still someone will come up to him during the show and be like, we have meet and greet tickets. What, you know, where was it? We didn't know. And he's like, you missed it. And they say, we never got the email. And he is like, can I see your your phone, your email? And he like just searches and finds it. And they truly didn't see it. Yeah. They, they said they could not find it. Right. But it was there. You know, all of our emails are just flooded and mm-hmm. sometimes things get lost. Mm-hmm. So this is sort of a tangent, but just something we have seen come up more recently is people saying, my subscribers can't find my emails, but they're delivered. And yeah, sometimes it is just that, People still are having a hard time using email. Mm -hmm. So keep in mind that not all of your subscribers are as tech savvy as you are. Yep. It's very true. People all the time with Yahoo accidentally mark emails as spam. (laughs) It's just too easy in Yahoo, I think. Like there's just important buttons right next to each other and it's easy for people to do. I see it almost once a day. (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of crazy, but it happens. It happens. Yeah. Email can be hard. (laughs) Okay. So... Those open rates hopefully gave you a a general idea of where you might fall with your sender reputation. But again, that was not an exact science. If any subscribers tell you that your message went to the spam folder, it's always a good chance to investigate. Mm -hmm. I would say don't panic from one person saying that Mm -hmm. because spam filtering does happen on an individual basis sometimes. A lot of people have really weird IT filters they don't even know about. Their IT Mm -hmm. teams have set it up. So... A one or handful of people saying a message went to spam isn't always anything to panic about. But if you do get multiple people with the same domain telling you that your message went to their spam folder, that is an indicator that there might be a sender reputation issue happening. Of course, it could be another issue. It could be authentication or something else. But all that to say, if you're getting reports from people saying your message went to my spam folder it's always a good chance to investigate. Ask them for more information. If they can send you a screenshot of the email within their spam folder, some mailbox providers will add a banner message to the top that's really helpful. So if Melissa and I are helping on a ticket and they send us a screenshot and the banner message says, we couldn't verify that this message came from the sender, you know, that it says it came from, we know, authentication issue. You got a DMARC probably issue. But if it says something like, a lot of messages from the sender were marked as spam, or this looks like other spam messages we've seen in the past. Those are both indications of a sender reputation issue. So that's helpful information. And in general, I think just asking yourself, do these people have something in common? Are they all Gmail users? And they're all saying my message went to spam. Send yourself a test if you have a Gmail address. That might mean that you have a sender reputation issue at Gmail. Um, One note, uh, since I was talking about Gmail so much, Mm -hmm. if you are using your own domain 
to authenticate your messages. If you're a ConvertKit customer, by that I mean if you are using a verified sending domain, other ESPs might call that something else. But if your domain is being used for authentication, then you can enroll in Google Postmaster Tools, and that will help give you an idea of what Gmail thinks about your reputation. Mm -hmm. They actually have a section that says domain reputation, which is wonderful. So you can go to that. It'll say either high, medium, low, or bad, I believe. I would say around low or bad, all your messages will go to spam. Medium, usually you're still okay, but that's where you might start to see that, what we were talking about, like 25% go to spam. Right. High, you're great. Like all your messages should go to the inbox, except for, of course, like individual cases. Weird filtering. Yeah. But that's a great tool. If you send enough messages, I don't remember the exact volume requirements. I believe it's like 10,000 messages a month or something. Mm -hmm. Don't quote me on that. Uh, You can Google it if you'd like. But yeah, if you're using a verified sending domain, then you can use that. Helpful. Cool. Cool. So I know this is something we've talked about before, but let's say you do have a damaged sender reputation. You've listened to this podcast. You're like, oh no, my open rates are below 10%. A lot of people tell me my message goes to their spam folder. I've just been kind of, you know, not knowing what to do about it. Mm -hmm. We're going to tell you what to do about it. Yeah. Okay. First thing, address the root issue. And that's pretty much what Alyssa and I do every single day is figure out what the root issue is of someone's deliverability problem. So maybe the first thing would be to remove any subscribers who did not opt in to receive emails. This can be, um, I think we we also just talked about this um, last episode, but if you just go through your LinkedIn account and you added all these email addresses that you were like, oh, they they probably want to receive my emails, um, but they didn't opt in and they didn't give you permission that can be very detrimental to your sender reputation. And you might think that even if they're acquaintances or friends that um, email box providers won't know, but it's actually pretty interesting. Like if you start doing that and going down that road, your emails will start going to spam and I've seen it happen (laughs) personally. So remove those people who didn't opt in. Yes, that's such a good one. Um, Some other examples of what a root issue might be. Like we mentioned, if you have any list bombing issues, then you are going to want to clean out any obvious fake Mm -hmm. addresses. Sometimes that means they have gibberish in the first name field. Unfortunately, sometimes they have a URL in the first name field Mm because someone's trying to send a phishing link through your form. Uh, It's all a mess. But if you can tell some addresses are sketchy pretty much, I would go ahead and remove those. Mm -hmm. Secure the form they came through with reCAPTCHA or some other um, security and enable double opt-in on that form so that these people don't get added to your list going forward. Mm -hmm. And then of course, like we just mentioned, uh, cleaning your list of subscribers who are perpetually unengaged. A lot of times we help senders who are doing everything right. They send wonderful emails, they're doing it all great, but they have just never cleaned their list and they've been emailing for five plus years. So even if you do everything right, you will see reputation issues from never cleaning your list. So that might be what you need to do to get Mm -hmm. to the root of your issue. Right. And after cleaning your list, um, it would be worthwhile to send to only your most engaged subscribers for like two weeks, those who've opened in the last like 30 days, because obviously you want to try and start re-engaging those positive signals. If you clean out your list and you're sending to cold subscribers to kind of do a re-engagement, and then you don't kind of offset that with those positive signals, it could hurt your reputation more than it already is. So make sure that you are kind of after the re-engagement 
you're also sending to like people who are very engaged with your emails and can click open and reply. That's really helpful. Yes. So good. Um, And then the next thing is to encourage a lot of engagement to boost your reputation. Mm -hmm. So similarly to that, if you're sending to only your most engaged people, mailbox providers are going to see like, wow, every time this person sends a message, they're getting tons of opens. That's wonderful. So you can sort of continue to help with that by sending emails that just really help with engagement. Um, For example, like we say in almost every episode, encourage people to reply to your emails. You can do that in a really authentic, genuine way. It doesn't have to be weird. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, if I was sending an email today, I might say like, this is what I'm going to do this weekend. I'm going to the lake. What are you all doing Mm -hmm. this weekend? That's probably going to get the more outgoing subscribers you have who want to reach out to you. Right. But also um, another example I just mentioned in the last episode is that our CEO, Nathan Berry, sent an email this week, and he kind of floated an idea for a new newsletter. And he mm-hmm. said, reply to this message if you'd be interested in that. And mm-hmm. I think he got hundreds, maybe thousands of replies, yeah. which looks awesome for his deliverability. So mm-hmm. ask people a question they can't not answer. People love Ooh. people love to give their opinions. And I say that <laughs> from a person like me who also loves to give my opinion. So I'm not, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Um, but... I think that there is a large group of creators who maybe underestimate that people want to be involved in a conversation. So I've told customers that before, like ask people a question they can't not answer because there are a lot of them out there. Yep. So good. This is uh, maybe a more technical thing, but I do think it's important. So if you're using a verified sending domain setup, like we've mentioned multiple times in this Mm -hmm. episode, and you know that your sender reputation is damaged, you might want to remove that. If you're using DMARC on your domain and you need to continue using DMARC, don't remove the verified sending domain. Mm-hmm. If none of this makes sense to you, you're probably not doing any of this, so you can ignore me. But <laughs> if it does make sense to you, um, that verified sending domain, uh, Melissa, do you want to give your analogy? Because I think it's the best. Sure, sure. Okay, so if you're using a verified sending domain, basically it's like you are you're an adult and you <laughs> can go out and get a credit card and people trust you and you're going to pay your bills on time. And if you are not using a verified sending domain, and I'm not trying to, by the way, say that one of these is like bad or worse than the other. It's just dependent on your situation. But if you are, if you're 16 and you want to start building your credit, you might have to have a cosigner um, because you're not really trustworthy yet. And that's understandable. Like you don't have any kind of like reputation. Um, You haven't had any credit in the past. So you have to start slowly building your way up. So maybe your parent will co-sign on a credit card for you, or I don't even know if you can, you co-sign on a credit card. Mm, I don't know. Okay. Well, (laughs) let's pretend you can. Uh, You can on like an apartment. Cause I know I had to do that for my first apartment. Right. A lease. Okay. (laughs) That works too. Or a mortgage or something. I don't know. Anything you can co-sign on. So it's like, it's like when you're sending without a VSD, verified sending domain, ConvertKit is the co-signer. And Alyssa has made this point before, and I try really hard to encourage people when they want to use a verified sending domain and they're not really a good candidate yet to not be discouraged because actually 30% is about the average open rate at ConvertKit. And when you are using, relying more heavily on ConvertKit's reputation, you're kind of floating a little bit on those open rates and like the reputations of all of the other good senders we have at ConvertKit. So at the end of the day, if you're not really in a spot yet where you can use a verified sending domain, it's not the worst thing ever because chances are you might actually see better open rates when you're not using a verified sending domain. 
Um, and I've actually seen this happen and I don't want to say that it's like a hundred percent all the time, but I've actually helped a customer before who was having issues. We removed the verified sending domain and emails instantly started going to the inbox. And that's not, that's not going to be the exact same for everyone, but in that particular case, it made a huge difference. Yes. And that's exactly what I was hoping to hit. So thank you. Um, because if you're having, uh, sender reputation issues, you probably don't want to have a verified sending domain in place because it means that your reputation is like pretty much a hundred percent carrying the message to the inbox or the spam folder. And if your reputation is damaged, there's a good chance you're not going to go to the inbox. But if you're using a verified sending domain and you have a reputation issue, we have seen a lot of times someone will remove the verified sending domain and instantly start going to the inbox because ConvertKit's reputation boosted them that much. So the important thing is don't do that and then not fix the root issue and take the other steps because it'll just start to get bad for you again. And you want to make sure to solve whatever is going wrong. But um, while you're rebuilding your reputation and resolving the root issue and sending to your engaged subscribers, it's a good idea to remove the verified sending domain if you can. Uh, also, I just Googled uh, <laughs> what credit cards allow cosigners, and there's a ton. So if anybody, oh, okay. <laughs> if anyone needs to know that, it's a thing. I'm not crazy. <laughs> You're not crazy. Oh. Luckily, my parents probably would have been like, no. Yeah. You're not getting a credit card because yeah. I would have been so bad. Yeah. I think there, I, <laughs> I got a credit card. This is a total side note um, in college, and it was really hard for me to get one because I had no credit. Mm-hmm. I kind of wish that in high school, my parents would have gotten me a credit card and only let me buy gas with it. Oh, yeah. I've heard of that. Like, yeah. And that would have been so helpful just to kind of like build up a reputation. And I mean, this could be used in deliverability somehow, I'm sure. But <laughs> yeah, we'll just start a financial uh, education podcast now because we're definitely experts there. Yeah, I don't deserve to do that. <laughs> I have some Dogecoin. You. <laughs> <laughs> You know about my shopping problem, Melissa. You could start that. I'm not. I don't deserve to be on that podcast. No, I don't either. I am joking. I mean, I yeah, I've gotten better, but I'm definitely no expert. And it's all a learning process. It takes time. Yeah, I do want to learn more. So if anybody is like a a stock expert, hit me up. I need some advice. Dogecoin is. I got in early, so I'm still up. But yeah, that's that's exciting. Yeah, it was fun. I pulled out some of it because I was like, I need to feel like I won here. Yeah, I can totally understand that. Crypto is a weird thing to me. It is so weird. I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, it seems just, I, it makes me uncomfortable, but it's <laughs> great for people who know what they're doing. I know. So we need help. Yeah. Whoever wants to help us, let us know. Yeah. Okay. I think that's enough of our Friday Brain episode, uh, but thank you all <laughs> for listening. I hope that was helpful. I know this is stuff that we help people with all day long. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm sure it helped someone out there. I hope. I feel like I should add this at the end too. Lately, uh, customers who do reach out and ask for help, I've been like slowly kind of like sending them links to our podcast because I do think that they could be helpful for people who want to learn more. So if you're a customer and you reached out to us and you're listening to this podcast because I sent you a link, um, (laughs) thank you for listening. I don't think I've ever said that before. But hopefully it will make you want to listen to more episodes and just kind of learn more about deliverability. I think that if you're a sender, like Alyssa said, you don't have to be an expert, but it's great when you can learn more and learn how to kind of like monitor and, you know, just keep track of everything going on in your account. Yes. And if you ever want to be a guest on the podcast, we would love that. So uh, let us know. You can be a ConvertKit customer or you could be anyone, really. Um, it would be fun to hear from a sender 
and hear from someone who has had some maybe deliverability struggles mm-hmm. and improved from it. Yeah. Obviously, we help people with that all day long. But if anyone would like to join us and talk about their experience, I think that would be so fun. That'd be fun. Alrighty. Hope everyone has a great rest of their week and stay tuned for next week. All right. See you then. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Deliverability Defined. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you're listening. And if you have time, please leave us a review. You can find a resource guide for today's show at convertkit.com slash deliverability, where we outline all of the information you need to know from today's episode. If you have a question or topic you want us to cover, let us know within the ConvertKit community or at convertkit.com slash deliverability. We'll see you next week.